Hey everybody, this is Pastor Cor Chavis. Thank you so much for checking us out today at Truth Chapel's podcast. If this word has blessed your spirit or encouraged you, take a moment and leave us a quick review. Also, check us out at truth-chapel.com or any of our social media outlets, Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. God bless, and I pray you enjoy. Amen. If you would turn in your Bibles, the book of Exodus chapter 4, and I'm going to begin in verse 1, Exodus 4 and verse 1. If you have it, just say amen. And Moses answered and said, but behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice. For they will say, the Lord hath not appeared unto thee. And the Lord said unto him, what is that in thine hand? And he said, a rod. And he said, cast it on the ground and He said, cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from before it. And the Lord said unto Moses, put forth thine hand and take it by the tail. And he put forth his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, hath appeared unto thee. And the Lord said, furthermore unto him, put now thy hand into thy bosom. And he put his hand into his bosom, and when he had took it out, behold, his hand was leprous as snow. And he said, put thine hand into thy bosom again. He put it into, and he put his hand into his bosom again and plucked it out of his bosom. And behold, it was turned again as his other flesh. And it shall come to pass, if they will not believe thee, neither hearken to the voice of the first sign, that they will believe the voice of the latter sign. And it shall come to pass, if they will not believe thee, These two signs, neither hearken unto thy voice that thou shalt take the water of the river and pour it upon the dry land. And the water which thou takest out of the river shall become blood upon the dry land. Amen. This morning, uh, I want to bring to you a word from the Lord. God has uh, dealt with me on something over the last couple weeks. And I want to bring it to the church today. I feel that today there are going to be some people that leave this place uh, released in the Holy Ghost. You're going to leave this place today from underneath uh, burden and bondage. And I want to preach to you today on this subject, the problem with brothers. The problem with brothers. Let's pray today. God, I love you. I worship you. I give you all the praise. I give you all the glory. God, would you touch my lips today, anoint my heart, and anoint my spirit today. God, that I will be able to deliver this word in the way that it should be delivered. God, that it can change lives and reset spirits today, God. I pray, God, that you would send a spirit of release in this house today. God, that we can walk into this new year released from the expectation of brothers. In the name that is above every name, somebody shout in Jesus' name. Shout it one more time in Jesus' name. Lift your voice one more time and shout in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, let me say this before I begin my message. If you are a first-time visitor, I would like you to meet me right here in this room to my right. I have a gift I would like to give you personally uh, from me and to shake your hand and to uh, get to know you a little bit better. Amen. Good to have the Sites family back with us again today. Good to see them in the house of the Lord. We're honored that you are here. 
Amen. The story of Moses, uh, we have taught about this in Sunday school uh, for a couple weeks now. And then on Tuesday night, I finished up a lesson on Moses, heroes of the faith. And that hero, that topic was Moses. And so I've been talking about Moses now for three to four weeks. However, in my study of the book of Moses, uh, in the book of Exodus, the story about Moses, uh, there are some things that have really jumped out to me in the last month of studying. And they moved me uh, to uh, some, some very uh, strong feelings about this story. And many of you have read the Bible through and are students of the word like I am. And, and I'm kind of a Bible nerd. Uh, I like to read the Bible. I know some people are like Star Trek geeks and, you know, Star Wars geeks, things like that. Well, I'm a Bible geek. I like the Bible. I like to read the Bible. I like to glean understanding. And the Bible is alive. How many know the word of God is alive? It is alive. It is the express word of God. And as you read the word of God, and many of you, many of you have experienced this, you can read something that you read a thousand times. And you can read it that one more time and be, whoa. I've never seen that before. And I love that experience because it reveals to me again that the Bible is alive and it is a moving and breathing thing. That it's not just a book. It's not just happenstance. But it is the express word of God. And at any moment, God can peel back your eyes and reveal unto you the word of God. And over the last few months, I have felt this way about the story of Moses. And God has been revealing some things unto me. And I'll, uh, I'll, I'll just share a few of those things with you today, but then I'm going to preach my, my message. Um, I was always, you know, I always thought that, that uh, God, you know, when Moses stretched his hand out over the waters, that the waters just parted instantaneously. Uh, but the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says that as he stretched his hand out over the water, that the wind blew all night long, and it took all night for the water to part. Amen. Also, when Pharaoh and his army began to give chase to uh, Moses and the people of Israel as they left, um, as Moses and the people of Israel were walking through the, the waters, the waters behind them closed. I always thought, always, you know, in my almost like my Sunday school mind frame, that at, Moses and the children of Israel stood on the other side of the waters and watched Pharaoh and his people be destroyed. But the truth of it is, if you read the Bible, you'll see the truth of it is, is that Moses and the people of Israel were, were still in the middle of the Red Sea when the Red Sea began to close behind them and almost like a zipper followed Moses and the children of Israel out of the Red Sea and as it followed behind them. And so I talked about on Tuesday night, this is a great biblical principle that sometimes the stuff that is protecting you is killing the enemy. Amen. And the stuff that you're going through right now, and it may look like the floods are on either side and you're going through it, but behind you, it's killing the enemy. This trial is killing the enemy. This trouble is killing the enemy. This struggle that you're going through right now may be the very answer to your prayer. Hallelujah. Amen. The story of Moses is like that to me. It is continually changing and jumping out at me and saying different things. And as I study something in the New Testament, I'll say, oh my goodness. And I'll jump back to Moses again and say, wow, that connects. That's, that, that's connected. And the, the story of Moses is such a powerful story in the Word of God. It is a life-changing story in the Word of God. And it, it chronicles Moses' life very highly. And we know that Moses was a, a, around the age of eight years old before he ever went to live in Pharaoh's home. Before Moses ever went to live in Pharaoh's home, he was eight years old uh, or possibly eight years old. 
And he lived in Pharaoh's home for 32 years until he made his decision that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a Hebrew. I'm not going to be an Egyptian. He was 40 years old when he made this eureka moment in his life. And he said, I am going to be a Hebrew. And no longer shall I be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Amen. The Bible says that when he was by faith, when he was grown, when he was older, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And we see that moment in, in Moses' life. And we all have lived in that moment where uh, we made that decision in our lives and we made that declaration and we, we're no longer going to live in the world and we're going to live for God and we're going to hold a standard and we're going to live the way God wants us to live. And I'm not living in sin anymore. I'm not living in bondage anymore. I'm not living in Egypt. I refuse to be called a son of Pharaoh's daughter for this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Amen. Is there anybody in the house that's glad that you made a decision one day? I will no longer be called an Egyptian, but I will be a he. I'm going to live for God. Amen. I will live for God. The problem with this announcement, the problem with this moment is that when you make that decision in your life, all hell is going to break loose in your life. Moses is 40 years old. He makes this grand statement. I will no longer be called an Egyptian. I'm going to be a Hebrew. And even not only just a public statement, but even as a personal motive and movement, he reaches out and kills an Egyptian. I mean, you can't make a more public statement than that. And and how many of us know that when you decide to live for God, you got to kill some stuff? Hallelujah. When you decide to live for God, there's some stuff that's got to die. There's some things you can't keep doing. There's some places you can't go. There's some friends you can't have. Hallelujah. When you make that decision, I'm going to live for God, there's some stuff that's got to be buried in the sand. And you might look this way and look that way, but it's got to die. Amen. Moses made that decision. And the Bible says when Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to slay him. You know, and, and this, is, this is one of those things in my Christian mind that really doesn't compute because I see God as this great, uh, you know, beautiful, fluffy Jesus who wants everything just to be right in my life. But listen, Moses had lived in Pharaoh's home for 32 years and Pharaoh wasn't about to let him go. And I don't, how, I don't know how long it took you to come out of the world, but the devil ain't just going to let you go because you want to go. Oh, I'm, I'm preaching right now. I know I got a few clapping, but I'm preaching right now. You need to understand the enemy is on your trail. The enemy is on your track. But greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Who cares what the enemy wants? God said, I can do this thing. Who cares what the enemy says? He may be trying to kill me, but God has my back. And if God be for me, then who can be against me? Hallelujah. Sometimes we feel the pressure and the weight of the moment pushing on us and we get afraid and get afraid and we get afflicted and we get in despair and depression. But God is on my side and I know how powerful Pharaoh is. But compared to my God, he is nothing. And at that moment of decision, at that moment of public statement, at that moment of I will live for God, at that very precise moment, Moses becomes a fugitive and runs for his life. And we really don't see Moses again until he's 80 years old. 
he lived in Egypt for 40 years and now he's living in the desert for 40 years because sometimes it might take you 40 years to become an Egyptian and it might take you 40 years to get Egypt out of you. Hey man, you can leave Egypt in a, in a night, ladies and gentlemen. You can get up out of Egypt in a night. You can come to this altar today and you can repent of your sins and go back there and be baptized in Jesus' name and be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. It could take 20 minutes or 30 minutes. You can, get, you can get out of Egypt tonight. You can get out of there today. It don't take a month. It don't, come on somebody, it don't take a, it don't take a year. You can get out of Egypt right now. Getting out of Egypt isn't the problem. The problem is getting Egypt out of you. I need you to be in our organ right there, Stuart, right there, right there. Yeah. Right there, because that is our issue, getting Egypt out of us. It takes Moses 40 years to get Egypt out of him. And he's on the backside of the desert, and God comes and finds him. And we know the story. And Moses sees the burning bush. And there at that burning bush, God begins to speak to Moses. Life-changing words are spoken into his spirit. Life-changing words are spoken into his world. You, you will go. You will tell Pharaoh, let my people go. I'm about to change you, Moses. He is literally talking to God. Moses, Moses, here I am. Take off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. You can't get... A better moment than this. Better moments than this don't exist. When God calls your name and you know it was God. Some of y'all can tell me the place you were standing when God called you. You can tell me the, the, the camp meeting you were in when God called you. Some of you young people can tell me the youth convention you went to when you felt God speak your name. And there ain't nothing like that. You can't ever take it away from me. When God called me, I know I have that burning bush experience when I didn't think I was worthy and I didn't think I could make it. And God spoke my name and I knew I didn't need daddy to tell me it was God. I didn't need mama to tell me it was God. I knew it was God. And I didn't need to hear from nobody else. And I heard my name called and he said, take off thy shoes from off thy feet. For the place where on thou standest is holy ground. Because we all know in that moment when God calls you, he requires you to change. We don't talk about change a lot in the church no more, but let me talk about some change today. God is, loves you just like you are. But he will require you to change if you're going to hear his voice. If you're going to hear, let my people go. If you're going to hear, Moses, I've called you out. If you're going to hear those words, there's going to be some stuff in your life that has to come off. Hey, everybody was standing in line to kill the Egyptian. Everybody wants to kill the Egyptian. There's some stuff that's got to die. There's some stuff that's got to die. But when it comes to personally, some stuff that I got to do. That's when we back away from God in the church. When there's a standard to be held. When there's a lifestyle to live. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. We'll all, you know, we'll go get a job at Burger King and wear that Burger King hat. You can't work at Burger King without wearing that Burger King hat. You got to wear that Burger King hat. You got to. And you'll make five seventy-five an hour or six or seven dollars an hour at Burger King. If you work at Burger King, that's great. That's fantastic. I'm not trying to talk about anybody who works at Burger King. But we'll wear that Burger King hat for that little bit of money we get. We wear that Burger King hat. And we won't ask nobody no questions. Soon as we come in the door, we put it on, we leave, we take it off. But we come to the house of God and the preacher says, got to live like this. Well, oh, I got to do that mess. You know why? Because nobody wants to talk about change. But if you're going to come to him, 
Now, he will call you. Many are called, but few are chosen. Why is that? Why is it many that are called, but few are chosen? Is that God's choice? No, because when many are called, very few decide, I will go to you, Lord. I will take some things out of my life. I will lay some stuff down because I want to hear what you have to say. Hallelujah. And and, and I want you to see the brevity of this moment is that God in God's mouth is a word that's going to deliver Moses and deliver all the people of Israel. But God is quite pleased to keep that word in his mouth as long as those shoes are on Moses' feet. Just that much leather is standing between Moses and a word that's going to change everything about him. Some of y'all ain't far away. You're not as far away as you think you are. You're not as far away as you think you are from hearing the voice of God. Who? It might be that much. It might be that little thing that God's saying, lay aside. And when that moment happens, I can speak on it from personal experience. When that moment happens, it will change your world. Some of you are sitting in here today, and a year ago, you didn't even know who Truth Chapel was, or a year and a half ago, you didn't even know who Truth Chapel was, but now that you're here, and God has changed your life, you can look around this room and see friends and family members that are here today, because God spoke to you. You can see cousins and aunties and, 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 and uncles and all of them sitting here today, because God spoke to you. And it's a, it's, a, it's a world-changing event, not just a personal-changing event. When God speaks to you, it changes everybody around you. So God gives this word to Moses. Moses, you are going to deliver my people. Moses has issues with this. Moses says, why me? Our biggest issue is us sometimes. We hold ourselves to such a high standard. We, we, we hold ourselves to this high level of lofty ideas that when God calls us, we ourselves do inventory on our lives and say, we can't do that. I can't do that. I, there's, there's no way I can be this person. There's no way I can make this jump. There's no way I. And God is saying, I never asked you to do anything, but trust me. Because the power has never been in you. The power has always been in me. All I need you to do is go in my name. And if you will go in my name, I'll do the work. God has to convince Moses of some stuff. But in Exodus chapter 4, and even back in Exodus chapter 3, if you pull that up for me, brother, Exodus chapter 3, uh, verse 11 through 14. And Moses said unto God, who am I? Here we go, it's me. Who, who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh? And that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? Question mark. And he said, certainly I will be with thee. And this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. Here we go. Verse 13. And Moses said unto God, behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and say unto them, the God of your fathers has sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, what is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am have sent me unto you. Now here's some revelation for me. 
Maybe not to you. You know, you know, maybe you, maybe you always knew this. There's some revelation to me. At no point in Exodus chapter 3 or Exodus chapter 4 is Moses even remotely worried about Pharaoh. Now, we know the storybooks, the Sunday school lessons, and maybe Hollywoodized version of Moses and how Moses, you know, what shall I say to Pharaoh? How many have heard that before? What shall I say to Pharaoh? That was not the question. The question was, what shall I say to my brothers? In verse, in chapter 4, he says, in verse 1, Exodus 4, verse 1, he says, And Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me. Who's they? The brothers. They will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice. For they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. And the Lord said unto him, What is that in thine hand? This is a rod. Throw it down. And the rod became a snake. Now, 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 again, maybe... Maybe you know this, but for me, this is troubling because I always thought that God gave Moses the staff trick with the snake for Pharaoh. That that trick that God allowed Moses to pull off, that miracle of the staff becoming a snake and then turning back into a staff. I always thought that trick was to prove to Pharaoh that Moses was the man of God. But it wasn't. That trick was to prove to the brothers that he was the man of God. And ladies and gentlemen, Moses never threw his rod down in front of Pharaoh. Never. Go back and read it. The Bible says Aaron threw his rod down in front of Pharaoh. Moses' rod never turned into a snake in front of Pharaoh. Aaron's rod did. Moses said, God, I'm not good enough. God said, you go, and when you go, I'm going to go with you. Good. Moses is good with God. And Moses is good with Pharaoh. But almost all of chapter 3 and all of chapter 4 of the book of Exodus is Moses trying to convince God to show me a way to convince the brothers. Because there's a problem with the brothers. Me and God are good. And me and the devil are good. He ain't got nothing on me. I'll cast him out in five seconds. I got the Holy Ghost. I got the name of Jesus on my side. I ain't worried about the devil. And this ain't no devil hunt. I ain't going out looking for the devil. Somebody said, Pastor Chavis, we're not doing the work of God. What, what do you mean we're not doing the work? We're not going out there and finding devils and casting them out. That ain't the work of God. What Bible did you read? Jesus never went looking for devils. Devils always come looking for him. I ain't, this ain't Buffy the Vampire Slayer. We're not here looking for devils. You look, go, go look for devils if you want to. Bye. Tell me about it when you come back. This ain't a witch hunt. I'm not looking for devils. If a devil wants me, he, he knows exactly where I'm at. And I will cast him out in Jesus' name. Amen? I'm not trying to play light here. I'm not trying to play silly. I know there's a spiritual warfare going on, and I, and I know the enemy hates Truth Chapel right now. He despises us. But greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. I'm not afraid of the devil. And I don't believe we got to wallow people in the floor and sweat till the sun comes up to get the devil out. In the name of Jesus Christ, 
by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ, by the power of the cross, by the power of the word, and by the power of the resurrection, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out and go back to hell from which you came. Now, if you ain't prayed up and you ain't living right, I wouldn't suggest you pray that prayer. Because he might jump on you. Amen. The deal between Moses and God is clear. Moses is good. The deal with Moses and Pharaoh is clear. Moses and Pharaoh are good. Moses' entire issue is with the brothers. The brothers won't believe me. Okay, throw your rod down. I'll turn it to a snake. And if they don't believe that trick, take your hand and put it in your coat. Take your hand out. It's leprous. Put your hand back in. Pull it back out. It's clean. Ha ha. Another trick. Why? To prove to Pharaoh? No, no, no. To show the brothers. Because there's a problem with the brothers. And if they don't believe that trick, take the water out of the river and pour it on dry land and it will become blood. I want you to go back and read your Bible and I want you to see that Moses never did any of the plagues. It was always Aaron. It was Aaron's rod that turned into a snake. It was Aaron's rod that touched the river and turned to blood. It was Aaron's rod that slapped the dust and the dust became lice. Because God didn't give those tricks to Moses for Pharaoh. God gave those tricks to Moses to prove to us. Because between Moses and God, it's good. And the devil is afraid of Moses. But the brothers don't believe Moses. And so how long do we have to stay in Egypt? Because we don't believe Moses is who God said he is. There's a problem with the brothers. The brothers won't believe that you sent me. The brothers won't believe that I'm called. The brothers won't believe that I'm good enough. The brothers will remind me of what I did in Egypt. Because there's a problem with the brothers. God forgave Mary Magdalene. But we still call her the harlot. Rahab is in the lineage of Jesus Christ. But we still call her. The harlot Rahab. We ain't ever going to let her forget that. Because there's a problem with the brothers. God changed Jacob's name in the backside of the desert somewhere. And said from now on you will be called Israel. But we still call him Jacob. Because we ain't ever going to let him forget that. There's a problem with the brothers. There's a problem. When you're trying to prove to me who you are. And I'm trying to prove to you who I am. There's a problem that we can't have revival, not because of the enemy. The enemy's running scared of this church. By the time, by the time Israel got to Jericho, when they got to Jericho, 40 years later, it took 40 years to get Egypt out of Moses, and it took 40 years to get Egypt out of the Hebrews too. Forty years later, they get to Jericho, and Jericho is shut up. All the villages have moved into Jericho, and they say, because we are afraid of you. 
We heard you was coming 40 years ago, and we've been holed up in Jericho for almost 40 years because we were afraid of you. Listen, the enemy is afraid of us. The enemy is afraid of what we're going to do to this city. And God has already equipped us, called us, empowered us, and approved us. My problem now is I got to get past you. I'm preaching today. There was a time in my life when I had a problem. I didn't know what it was. Something in my heart. And God had called me to preach. God had called me to do some great things. And I was, I was already doing that. I was already preaching and doing these things. And I went to uh, an, an event that uh, me and my wife go to uh, very often called Because of the Times. It was the very first Because of the Times I'd ever been to. Big conference and been in, in business for a long time and heard great things about it. And so uh, me and Amanda, we just started evangelizing. I said, let's go to Because of the Times. What's Because of the Times? First night at Because of the Times, before the music starts, you know, the music's playing, whatever. Anthony Mangan gets up on the microphone, and he says, before we sing a first song tonight, we're going to have a moment of healing. And I want you to reach over and pray for somebody beside you, and we're going to pray for healing. Before we ever sing one song, before we ever do anything, everybody in this building is going to be healed in your mind, healed in your emotions, healed in your heart. Before we do anything else, we're going to stop right now, and we're going to all enter into this conference healed. And we begin to pray, and I was praying for a man, the man was praying for me, and somebody tapped me on the shoulder, and I looked up, and there was a man standing in front of me. I haven't seen him before, and I ain't seen him since. He said, I was up there praying, brother, and the Lord told me to come tell you that he's about to release you from the expectation of people. And you can ask my wife. Something broke in me. When I heard those words, I literally, like my spirit gushed out. And I cried for the rest of that service, and I don't cry. You see me crying, you know it's the Holy Ghost, because I'm just not an easy crier. And I cried and cried and couldn't stop crying, and cried and spoke in tongues, and I'll try to stop and keep on crying speaking in tongues. It's like my spirit just gave way to the words that I heard because there was a problem in my life, and it wasn't with God, and it wasn't with the devil. It was with those who I love most. There wasn't a problem with anybody else but the brothers. The problem was with people. Ooh, I feel the Holy Ghost in here today. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, I'm tired of doing tricks for you. We're all sitting around doing this. Clap on, clap off. We're all trying to prove to each other that we are who God called us to be. We're all trying to prove to each other. And my expectation has nothing to do with God. It has something to do with you. Can I prove to you that I am who I say I am? You got me jumping through hoops to prove that I am the man of God. But I got you jumping through hoops too. I'm no better. I say, God, forgive us today of putting more pressure on each other than God has and even the enemy has. God has a plan for us and God has a plan for the enemy. Let's don't worry about the enemy and let's don't worry about God. Let's focus on each other. Let's bond together. I believe in you. You believe in me. Let's see this thing happen. I don't want to try to prove to you anymore. I'm tired of doing tricks and I'm tired of making you do tricks for me. God gave Moses three tricks to prove that he was Moses. Because he didn't have a problem with God. He didn't have a problem with the devil. He had a problem with the brothers. 
There's a problem with the brothers. That's why most of us live a totally separate life on social media. How many have been enjoying the social media fast? I have. I've been enjoying it. It's been awesome. Glory to the Lord. I feel, I feel fired up today. I'm fired up. Amen. How many join me this week at Pastor's Prayer? How many join me at 6 o'clock? How many join me? Thank you so much for praying with us. We felt your prayers. We were here at the church. I think we averaged about 9 every morning from Monday through Friday here at the church, 6 a.m. We were here praying, calling on God. I'm, I'm telling you, we had some great prayer meetings. How many were here at the church on, on this week? Thank you for being here so much. God has given us the power and the equipment and the ability and the provision to see this thing happen. The problem is, is we're all standing out in the desert like Moses is in Exodus 4, and we're saying, God, can you prove to them that I am who I am? Can you show them that, 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 that this is real? Can, can, can you prove to them that, that this is legitimate? And we're wasting time in the desert trying to get God to help us prove to the brothers Because there's a problem with the brothers. You know, how much re- you know how much revival we could have? Not just in True Chapel, but globally. You know how much revival the church of the living God could have if we didn't compare each other to each other? The Bible says we compare ourselves to ourselves. And we're frustrated and we, we care about every little move everybody else is making. That's why Facebook is a billion dollar industry. It's because we care about what you're doing, and we hope you care about what we're doing. With all of our hearts, we care. And if we don't get, it, if, if we don't get enough likes on our picture, we will be depressed. And you didn't like my picture, and, and that was my outfit of the day. I was looking fly, and you didn't even like it. Why? Why? Because we care. It's because we care. We want you to like what we ate, like what we wore, like our new pictures of our family, like our new design in our bathroom. Love it. Where's the love button? Because we care. We want to prove to you how awesome our life is. But I wish we could see the real book. Because the real book You'd say, pray for me, because this is happening. This is the truth. Pray with me, because this is the truth. I need you to help me. I need you to bind with me. But I'm afraid to tell you anything, because I'm afraid you're going to tell everybody else. And you're afraid to tell me anything, because you're afraid I'll do the same thing. I've said this here before, I'll say it again. At, at no time have I ever felt like I was a Catholic. But I've always envied the Catholic Church for one thing. I'm I'm, I'm just being straight up and transparent with you today. I've envied the Catholic Church on one thing. Because sometimes as a man of God who strives to uphold a standard and a lifestyle to God, sometimes I wish that there was a wooden box I could go sit in and tell a man everything that was on my heart, in my spirit, in my life, and know that that man wasn't going to go tell nobody. He was going to pray with me about it. I envy that because we don't have that. 
We don't have that amongst ourselves. Why? Because there's a problem with the brothers. You don't trust me. And I don't trust you. I'm preaching to myself today because I'm holding you to an expectation that I don't even know where I got it from. Where did I get this thought pattern that you got to be like me and I got to be like you? Where did I get this thought pattern that you don't fit into my clique if you don't dress like I dress or talk like I talk or like the same things I like? Where did I get it into my heart? Where did I get it into my mind that you don't fit in with me? The devil is alive. You do. We do. But all that Facebook is and all that Twitter is and all that social media is and all of our fake laughs and our I'm okay, but blessed and highly favored, all we're doing is throwing down sticks and putting our hand in our cloak and pouring water on sand, trying to convince you that I am who I said I am. I'm pulling off tricks because the brothers won't believe me. And I apologize to you today for ever holding you to that standard. Because I want you to do what God's called you to do. I want you to have the ministry that God has called you to. And I ask you to take the expectation off of me. And let me be who God called me to be. There's always been a problem with the brothers. Oh, this isn't something new. This isn't something generational. There's always been a problem with the brothers. The problem with the brothers is this, is that Abel has a better sacrifice. And we know that Abel has a better sacrifice. But Cain can't stand it to the point where Cain winds up killing Abel. Because there's a problem with the brothers. The problem with the brothers is this, is that everybody knows that Joseph is favored. He's got the coat to prove it. We all know that Joseph is favored and loved by the Father. We all know that. But it makes us hate Joseph. Instead of rejoicing with him. That he has favored the Father instead of embracing him and saying, well, if the Father loves you, then I love you. It makes us jealous of him. It makes us despise him. It makes us throw him in a pit and sell him into slavery. The problem with the brothers is that Jacob is the favored one. God told. God told his father Isaac and God told his mother that the second one will be the one of favor. But Esau can't see it. And Esau don't care. And even when God works with his magic to put Jacob in line for the blessing, Esau searches to slay him because there's a problem with the brothers. The problem with the brothers is everybody was there when David was anointed. The Bible tells us in the book of Samuel that David was anointed in the midst of his brothers. His brothers saw him be anointed. But when David said, who is that uncircumcised Philistine? His brother says, go home, you little twerp. You don't belong here. This is man's business. With the oil still gleaming off his hair, his brother still can't get it in his heart that David is the man. And we never see his brothers again. We never see David and his mighty brothers. We see David and his mighty men. Because there's a problem. With the brothers. The problem with the brothers is this. Is that when the prodigal comes home, the father runs to meet him in the middle of the street. And the servants get the fatted calf and the robe and the ring and the shoes. But the brother is out of the backside of the farm with his bottom lip poked out. I can't believe they're going to cook him. Over. I've been here the whole time. This little jerk comes in here today and they just pack like. Everybody's happy but the brother. 
They're throwing a party, but the brother's like, I don't know. The problem with the brothers is this, is that at Truth Chapel, sometimes I got to keep quiet what God's doing. I got to kind of almost like dial it back a little bit because I don't want to offend nobody. What are they doing over there at Truth Chapel? My God, they must have given up on the, on the doctrine. That's the only way you can grow like that. They must have let anybody in there. We do. I thought that's what church was all about. Anybody can come. Welcome. This is the house of the Lord. It's not my house. It's God's house. It never been my house. It ain't never going to be my house. But the problem is we got to tiptoe around so we don't hurt nobody's feelings because there's a problem with the brothers. And we're all throwing down sticks and making our hands turn to lepers. And we're all pouring water on the ground and watching it turn to blood because we want to prove it. Hmm. There's always been a problem with the brothers. From beginning to end, there's always been a problem with the brothers. The problem with the brothers is, is they read he was coming. They read he was coming. They knew that he was Messiah. They knew it. But because he was from Nazareth, and because he was just a carpenter's boy, and because he didn't fit into the mold of the high priest, no way he could be the Messiah. And ladies and gentlemen, I don't care what you read, Rome didn't kill Jesus. The brothers did. It was the brothers that cried, crucify him. It was the brothers that lined up people to bear false witness against him. It was the brothers that slapped him in the face and said, tell us who slapped you. Rome was just doing the wishes of the brothers. The brothers want him gone. There's been a family meeting and the brothers have decided they want him out of here. Because there's always been a problem with the brothers. But I'm praying today at Truth Chapel that God will release us from the expectations of one another. I'm praying today that God will release you from my expectation. I'm praying today that you would be able to do your ministry as God sees fit and allow me to see that ministry in you and allow me to do ministry as I see fit and allow you to see that ministry in, in me. And please don't make me pull off tricks for you. And God help me if I ask you to pull off tricks for me. There is no reason for that and no room for that in the kingdom of God. As the music comes, Paul said to the church in Corinth, he said, you're the best church there is. He said, you, 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 you lack in no gift. He said, you, 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 you have great organization. You have great government. I mean, Paul was just building the Corinthians up as big as he could. He just told the Corinthian church, you're so great, you're so mighty, you're so awesome. And then the next chapter, uh, when Paul begins to speak, Paul says, but when I talk to you, I got to talk to you like children. Because you can't discern the meat of God. I'm sure the Corinthian church was like, what? I thought we was super awesome. I thought we were lacking in no, I thought we were all that in a bowl of chips. And Paul said, but when I talk to you, I have to talk to you like kids. Because you ain't ready for the meat of God's word. Why? He said, you're immature. Why are we immature, Paul? He said, because when I come to you, I hear there's division among you. And revelings 
and strife and envy. You look good. You sound good. You are good. But you're so immature because you can't get along with the brothers. That's why in our covenant covenant leadership and in our covenant membership program that we're doing here at Truth Chapel, one of our main covenants is that we practice holy conversation. That I don't talk about you and you don't talk about me. And if I do have a problem with you, I come to you and I talk to you about it. I don't talk to people sitting around the coffee table about it. I don't talk to people sitting around parties about it. Well, I don't like the way Pastor Chavis is doing something. I don't like the way this and that. You know, did just so. That's division and chism in the body. You are causing division. And the Bible tells me to mark them that cause division among you. The Bible tells me to mark you and single you out and put you to the side and say, I'm watching you because I can't trust you. That's biblical. That's not a truth chapel policy. That's a Bible policy. Mark them among you that cause division. You know why? Because there's a problem with the brothers. Always has been. But I wonder, I wonder how powerful the church would be today if you just let me be who God called me to be. And if I just let you be who God called you to be. I wonder how powerful we'd be today if we trusted one another. Truly trusted one another. I wonder how much revival Loganville and the surrounding communities would see if every time you came to church, you weren't grading me and grading the leadership and grading the music and grading this and grading that. And we we didn't do that over here. We don't do that over there. Well, this ain't over here and this ain't over there. This is here. And if it was so wonderful over there, I hate to see you go, but go back. Because there's a problem with the brothers. It ain't nothing new. It ain't something that just showed up on the scene today. It ain't just something that this generation has a problem with. All the way back to the very beginning, to the very first brothers, there was division. So I say as a body of believers, let's rise together. And say, no, not anymore. That's how it used to be. That's how we used to do it. But now, I hold no expectation over you. And you hold no expectation over me. But I love you. And I agree with you. And I am in covenant with you. And if I hear anybody talking about you, I'm going to say, hold on, hold on, hold on. That's my brother. That's my sister. Hold up now. Is it okay if I go tell them what you said? No? Okay, then don't tell me. Because I'm sure going to tell it. I'm going to run tell it. Why? Not not because I want to be a a, a rebel or, or cause strife. No, it's because I care about my brother. I don't want to be the brother in the backside of the field with the mule and mad because someone else has favor and someone else has joy and someone else got a new job and someone else got a new car and someone else got a new home. I want to be the one out there with the servant saying, yes, yes, yes. Hold on. I'll go get the fatted calf. Let's throw a party. Look what the Lord has done in your life. I rejoice with you 
and I expect to see you at my party when my time comes. How much better would life be? I feel the Holy Ghost here today. I know we ain't running hours of shouting. I think it's because we're all convicted. Because we've all done it. Ain't nobody in this church exempt from this. Ain't nobody here can say, well, not me, Brother Chavis, because as soon as you say that, we know it's you. Immediately. Because we've all done it. We, we're all guilty of it. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, not, not just Truth Chapel. I've been, I've been in ministry for a long time, and, and, I, and my name is out there. And I've done uh, conferences and conventions, and, and, and I'm a part of a great fellowship of ministers. But even in that great fellowship of ministers, I'm tired of doing this. I'm tired of trying to prove to these guys I am who I say I am. I'm trying to prove, that I'm, I'm tired of proving them that I'm a young man that still believes in Jesus' name, baptism, and Holy Ghost. And I'm tired of proving that junk. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of pouring blood on the water on the ground and watching it turn to blood. I'm tired of trying to prove to somebody that I am who I say I am. I'm, I'm over it. I'm done. I'm, I'm, it's enough. Now I want to say let's quit grading each other. Let's have revival. Pray for me and I'll pray for you. Believe in me and I'll believe in you. Because where two or three of us can agree on anything, it can happen. But we can't agree if I'm jealous of you. We can't agree if I have envy in my heart for you. We can't agree if I'm standing against you. But together we can agree. Stand with me all over the room. The problem with the brothers is that you would much rather hear about my past than you would to hear me talk about what I feel like God's going to do for me in the future. The problem with the brothers is this, is that Moses says, I'm slow of speech which most people think was a speech impediment of some sort, but Moses didn't have a speech impediment. Moses was raised in Egypt. Moses went to the best schools the money had to offer. The problem is, is that for 72 years, for 72 years, Moses had not spoken Hebrew. He only spoke Hebrew for eight years of his life. And he wasn't worried about convincing Pharaoh, and he already knew God was convinced. His problem was, I can't speak to the Hebrews because my only problem now, my hurdle, the hurdle I got to jump now is I got to prove to the Hebrews. And so God allowed Aaron to speak for him because Moses was slow of speech. I don't want you to be my hurdle. And you hear me today. I don't want to be yours. If we got to pray and convince God, let's pray and convince God. And if we got to bind together and fight the devil, let's bind together and fight the devil. But I don't ever want you praying to convince me. That shouldn't have to be a prayer. If God's going to give us miracles and signs and wonders, let, let him give us miracles, signs and wonders to prove to the world who we are. But let's don't, let's don't pray that God will give them so we can prove to each other who we are. I don't want that. I want to be able to trust you. And more importantly, I want you to be able to trust me. 
that what I say from this pulpit is true. And I preach the word of God, truth. And I'm not working any angle today. And I know we live in a culture of angles and everybody's working an angle. Everybody's got a, everybody's working an angle, but I'm not. What you see is what you get. It's, it's that simple. And I love each and every one of you today. And I know you love me. I do. I know you love me. I thank you for praying for me and my family. That, that to me, that's, that's irreplaceable. I've got to have that in my life. But ladies and gentlemen, I'm tired of holding you to some standard that you aren't supposed to be held to. And I'm tired of you holding me to some standard I'm not supposed to be held to. I'm tired of there being a problem with the brothers. I want to rejoice with you. I want to believe. I want to stand beside you in faith believing. I want every one of us that's in this room right now, every single one of us in this room right now, 10 years from now, when we're running 1,500 or more, will all this group right here be able to say, I remember. I remember that little old church over there on Diversified Drive. We're all still here, and we all still love each other. That's what I want. You said, Brother Tavis, that ain't possible. Yes, it is possible. It is possible. I believe it is. The only reason God stopped the people from building the Tower of Babel is because the Bible says that God said they have one voice and one language. And there is nothing that they can't do. And God knew if they built that tower, they would build it to the heavens. They would do it. And they'd die because there ain't no oxygen up there. Then fools would all die up there because they ain't got no oxygen tanks. But they were so determined and so powerful that God had to stop them. Because he said, if I don't stop them, they'll all die. But the reason he stopped them is because they said this. Let's build for us a name. For us. Let's build us a name. God said, I got to stop him. But if we all got on one sheet of music and all got behind one vision and one language and one purpose and one thought, not for us, but let's build him a name. I wonder what God would let us do. I wonder how big God would let it get. I wonder how powerful God would let it happen. I've always wondered that. What if I could find a church that everybody loved everybody? That would be crazy. Welcome to Truth Chapel. Everybody loves everybody. I'm striving to make that happen because I'm tired of there being a problem with the brothers. I wish you'd lift your hands all over this building. I wish you'd pray right now in the name of Jesus. I wish you'd pray in the spirit right now. God, help us. I pray this word was an encouragement to you today. Thank you again for tuning in to Truth Chapel's podcast. If you have not yet, please take a moment and leave us a quick review. God bless and have a great rest of your day.